I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome. Hello. To 2021. Fucking finally. And the official <laughs> podcast of the Gibson Review. In every episode in which we celebrate the joy of film, we kick it off with the week in review, what movies and TV shows we've been watching since the last episode, move on to the main event, which is a topic of discussion or main review, then finish up with film faves, our respective lists of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic, often marching backwards through time. Shanna, this is the first episode in like two months that is a full episode that follows that format completely we have in this episode several movies to talk about since the last episode we recorded in the weekend review and then the main event will be our discussion of 2020 in review we have several categories that we'll be speaking to and movies for each category our picks for those and then Film faves, our lists of our 12 favorite movies of the year 2020. So there's a lot to get into. Let's get right into it. So we have a few movies to get to that you and I have watched. Let's try to get through some of these really quickly here. The first film was I'm Your Woman. So here's the thing. We were hoping to do a bonus episode review of Promising Young Woman, a movie that, mm. that we had heard was being released on Christmas Day. That we've looked forward to since the beginning of 2020. Right, because it was supposed to release in the spring before COVID hit. And we were going to include that amongst other bonus episodes. If you haven't listened, there's the bonus episode review of Soul and One Woman 1984. We were looking for Promising Young Woman didn't get to and so we watched i'm your woman thinking we were going to do a bonus review of that we just ended up not doing it so let's spend a couple minutes talking about this movie it's a crime film that's set in the 70s about a woman who's forced to go on the run after her her husband betrays his partners sending her and her baby on a dangerous journey it is directed by julia hart who has done a couple small films in the past couple years most uh, notably is a movie called fast color and star girl i guess star girl came out in early 2020 and it is not to be confused with the arrowverse tv show star girl uh based on the dc comics superhero it is not that but i am on your woman stars rachel brosnahan and a number of people I'm not terribly familiar with, Marsha Stephanie Blake, Arinze Kane, and also Frankie Faison, who I've seen in movies for like decades now. I believe he was even in Silence of the Lambs. Shannon, what did you think of I'm Your Woman? We're fans of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. We love the talent that is Rachel Brosnahan. Did this measure up? to the opportunity and the possibility and the potential of seeing Rachel in a different context. Look, I'm always going to be happy to see her, and I was quite pleased with the cast's performances, but I did not like this movie. I don't really know why. It's fairly unique in its own way. The direction that the story goes, the kinds of characters that we have, I think is pretty unique. It's certainly better than The Kitchen, but it just 
something about it just didn't make me happy. Maybe it was her that didn't make me happy. I don't really know. I haven't really processed my feelings about this film because I kind of have mixed feelings. So for me, I, I kind of I needed to take a day or two in process and listen to other thoughts on it. And one of the things apparently that, I need a week or two. <laughs> one of the things about it that kind of my realization is what this movie is doing or attempting to do is focus on one of the what would normally be one of the fringe supporting character women in a in a crime or a gang stir type story right and so she is always on the fringe or the outside of this action that's playing out off screen or in another room or in another building or whatever right and it's focusing on that that character and what that experience is like for the character who's left behind while the men are going off and having their disputes right mm. I, I can admire that endeavor, that concept. It is interesting. The idea is an interesting and unique one. But the, the problem is it results in a movie with long stretches of dull moments. And then that are suddenly punctuated with her coming into contact with some of the action that's happening outside her purview. Yeah. Right. And that's when the movie kind of wakes up a little bit when she like, there's a, there's a, a scene in a club, a nightclub, right. Where there's long stretches of dullness and then things kind of explode at this nightclub. And she's kind of trying to weave her way through people escaping, escaping the action. So I think that's, that's the, problem though is the movie is always on the fringe and escaping eluding the exciting bits of the story her mm. story is never that interesting uh to me and i feel felt that the second act really sagged so i was fairly disappointed i want to see rachel brosnahan do more interesting things i just don't think the material was here for that and so I give I'm Your Woman a 5 out of 10. I think that that's fair, and I think you're definitely more articulate than me. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. All right. Next is The Nest, a much-talked-about film in critic circles that is directed by Sean Durkin. Now, this is one of the reasons why it's much-talked-about. Sean Durkin hasn't made a movie since 2011, which was... Martha Marcy May Marlene, which featured a huge breakout performance by Elizabeth Olsen, proved, hey, wow, one of the Olsons is actually really talented. And, <laughs> and, and, and she became a huge star following that movie and starring in Avengers movies and everything, right? Sean um, really hasn't done much since. So him coming out with this movie called The Nest, which is a kind of a domestic relationship, white privileged rich man, 80s movie, is something that people took notice of in the critical community. The story is a life for an entrepreneur and his family begins to take a twisted turn after moving into an English country manor. Essentially, this guy 
convinces his wife that he need to move from their creature comforts in America to England. Things will be better there. He's got great opportunities. He's getting on the ground floor of and those kinds of things. It stars Jude Law and Carrie Coon and not very many other recognizable faces or names. Shannon, what did you think of The Nest? Do you agree that it is one of the best films of 2020? Oh, man, this movie was so hard for me. It's such an unpleasant film in its subject matter because it's it's real. It's a real entrepreneur in denial struggle and how that denial affects your family. And it's so hard for me to talk about because it hits so close to home and I was so angry and worked up and upset after I watched this film. And I realized, oh, well, it must be good then if it's hitting, if it's hitting me so hard, you okay. know. So I think it, it is a good film. It's not at all pleasant. And I don't know if people who are not entrepreneurs or people, if people have been successful most of their life, I don't know if they could relate to it. I don't know if it would hit them as hard as it hits me. Like I said earlier, fourth generation entrepreneur here, like I've seen things fail. I've seen things struggle. I've seen how, how being an entrepreneur affects your family on, mm-hmm. you know, both ends of the generation spectrum. And it's, it's so hard. It's, it just thinking about it makes me want to cry, you know, and I'm so glad that I never went through this, this situation with my dad. I had this huge fear that my dad was, was going to get transferred to Detroit. It's a family owned business. It's not a branch business. <laughs> We're not going anywhere, you know, but there was this uh, common fear that like we'd have to move because of work. And we never had to. So it's, there's things about this film that really hurt. Like the dad will say, I, you know, I would have loved to have gone to the school that you're at right now. And like as a child, you feel this pressure. Like, well, I should appreciate where I'm at when in right. fact your child, it's your child, but your child isn't you. As much as you, you think they are, they aren't you and they don't want the same things as you and they don't necessarily... Uh, want what you wanted when you were a kid so the movie has a really strong performance by carrie coon i think that she is the thing you know i'm really glad that you that you had a really great experience for this film and it resonated so strongly with you for me carrie coon was everything hung on her and her performance you know and she has some really biting and really interesting moments in this film but to me, the film is so subtle in everything it's trying to say and do that I, I would forgive anyone for watching this film and thinking, oh, what's the big deal? I don't I don't get it. And being kind of underwhelmed by it. And, and I I don't necessarily think that it is one of the best movies of the year, I think. I think it has some interesting elements to it. You know, this is to me, this movie is in the vein of the ice storm and the squid and the whale movies that are very much about 
privileged white people and the effects that their actions and lifestyles can have on their teenagers and children. But I kind of feel like, especially in the case of Ainley's Ice Storm, you know, it's not, it doesn't, it's not as good, right? It, it is also interesting how, I, I don't know, I feel like this is a movie that you really need to sit and chew on and really kind of think about what it is you watched and, 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 and be willing to take the time to actually think about the relation dynamics, the relationship dynamics and where the characters are even at when you first meet them, you know, because I don't think necessarily everything starts at the start of their, their problems start at the beginning of the, the movie. I think that things are only exacerbated and escalate as the story goes on from how they have been. But I, I don't know. I, I feel like the movie's fine. I give it a six out of 10. How about you? Yeah, I think I agree with that. Really? If anything, it's like a six and a half or a seven because it hits home so hard. Okay, so more like a seven. It's probably a seven. Gotcha. All right, so that is Sean Durkin's The Nest. Next, speaking of directors who haven't made a movie in almost a decade, we have Ben Zeitlin's Wendy, which came out near the beginning of the first quarter of the year. Ben Zeitlin is the director of Beasts of the Southern Wild from 2012, a great film. Here he has his own take on the Peter Pan legend. Lost on a mysterious island where aging and time have come unglued, Wendy must fight to save her family, her freedom, and the joyous spirit of youth from the deadly peril of growing up. This is kind of a a film full of quote-unquote no-name actors or unknown uh, child actors and stuff. So, Shanna, I know you especially... We're looking forward to this for the concept alone. I was looking forward to this because of the director. My expectations were a little bit tempered because of the reputation, which was that it was a bit of a disappointment. But what was uh, what was how did Wendy land for you? I love this movie. Uh, it's it's not going to make my list, spoiler, but I really enjoyed that they played with the IP. I mean, Peter Pan has existed since forever, you know, in, in my own experience. And it was so nice to finally focus on Wendy and figure out what is her story and what is making her the way she is. And it was a really fun exploration and how they weave things together. I almost compare it to Klaus. We know, you know, Klaus's Santa mythology origin. And then Wendy is, you know, all those characters origin. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I just found it really interesting. And I, I was always guessing what's going to happen. Is this how this is? Cause you know, that's what you do when you know the IP. And I love that it was, this experimentation with conceptualizing feelings in a visual way. And, you know, the whole concept of being afraid to grow up or not being afraid to grow up, it's two extremes, isn't it? You're either the kid that doesn't want to grow up or you're the kid that does want to grow up to do certain things. And so seeing all these children come together and kind of just live wildly is beautiful. And it's like, oh, well, I wish I had taken the time to kind of be okay with that when I was younger. Like, because hmm. I always wanted to grow up, you know, I always wanted to be to be able to do whatever I wanted rather than focus on, you know, it's different if you're growing up somewhere else. But I'm a kid. I get to be wild. I get to be muddy. I get to be all these different things. Uh, depending on how you're supported. And 
I just I really liked it and this focusing on Wendy hearing her mother share with her I had a dream before I had you and dream had to change and seeing Wendy take that and that being her fear of growing up like losing a dream was really interesting and everything else that kind of weaves the story together I enjoyed without getting spoilery of course okay so I appreciate the cinematography by Sterla Branth Grovlin I appreciate uh, the score by Dan Romer and Ben mm-hmm. Zeitlin one of the best scores of the year. They also did the score to Beasts of the Southern Wild. And I, I I feel like the movie has nuggets of interesting ideas and, and how it tries to go about entering this mythology from a very grounded, quote-unquote, realistic place. I thought this movie, though, was... A huge disappointment. I thought it lacked coherence at times. It, it's so interested in atmosphere, so interested in mood that you lose. It, it feels like you lose details of story and plot and character motivation here and there. And so, I I really can't quite recommend uh, this film. I I did not have the same experience as you. I wanted to really love it, but I did not. So I give the movie a five out of 10, largely for the nuggets of ideas. It has the cinematography and the score. I give it a seven. All right. Lastly, we saw Ma Rainey's black bottom on Netflix. This is of course, notably Chadwick Boseman's final performance. It also stars Viola Davis as the title character. It also stars Coleman, Domingo, Glenn, Terman, Michael Potts, Jeremy, Shamos, Johnny, Coyne, and Taylor Page, among others. Directed by George C. Wolfe. It is based on the Pulitzer Prize winning play by August Wilson, set in 1927 Chicago. Uh, During a recording session, tensions rise between Ma Rainey, her ambitious horn player, and the white management determined to control the uncontrollable mother of blues. In case you aren't familiar, Ma Rainey is a real historic figure in the early days of blues and quote-unquote black music at the time. George C. Wolfe has also directed The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, and Knights in Rodanth, as well as being a greatly renowned and respected director and producer of the stage. Shanna, what did you think of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom? I thought this was an interesting film. It has this beautiful way of showing a progression of bad luck, but also determination and not giving up. And then, uh, you know, with the, the trumpeteer. And then with Ma, it, it's, I'm kind of in awe of her because when she says no, she's she follows through and I don't know how to do that. <laughs> mm. So it's really inspiring. Like anything from you don't have my Coke that you're supposed to have here 
as as agreed upon. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not performing until you go get my damn coke. And as I, I, I could never do that. And so there's this this law that she lays down, whether it's as little as a coke, or we're using this person's voice, or whatever. And I, I find that very inspiring, and also very like. I know what you white man are up to. So fuck you kind of feeling to it. Yeah. And I also really appreciated the ending, the very ending. And I wonder if people who are aware of that in history would appreciate it too. Yeah. um, So I think this movie is very, first of all, it's based on a play. And the problem with movies based on a play often is they feel like they are a play in a sense that they are often one location with people standing around and talking. And it's very hard. Sometimes people are not able to translate that into something that's very cinematic. I think it works here. I think it still has that feeling, but I think it largely works. It works because you have tensions between this this um and this uh brash ambitious trumpeter who wants to play things how he feels it should be like literally as he's playing it how it feels versus someone who wants to play wants a song done her way and or else the highway and um, hanging on to her ways of doing things and not listening to this younger generation of what they can bring to the table you also have tensions of this this these two white like uh, there's there's the talent manager and then there's the record producer these white people who you know are exploiting and, and kind of taking advantage of you know she's ma rainey says flat out like as soon as they have my voice down on vinyl they don't care about me right mm-hmm. so they care and they they will bend over backwards or whatever just to be able to get on uh, the, the recording done and her to sign the contract that's needed and then you know, they're done with her until the next, that they need her sales again, right? So you have that tension, and then you also have the band in their practice space. They talk a lot, and they talk they talk on issues that touch on uh, racism, that touch on religion, and, and various other ones. So I think that there is enough material here and subject matter here to make it engaging. I thought it was very interesting. I think that Chad and Viola both bring very interesting performances this is a little bit more chadwick boseman show than viola davis i kind of feel like viola davis though being the title character is a little bit more of a supporting character than chadwick boseman is in this but uh they're both really great and i I definitely recommend checking it out i give ma rainey's black bottom a seven out of ten i i think i'm there with you yeah seven is great all right so that is finally the end of the week in review. Now it's time for the main event, our 2020 in review. Okay, so I think it's fair to say that 2020 is one of the most unique movies or years in film that we've ever experienced. Yeah, I would agree. I, I do think it kind of gave room for smaller or indie films like First Cow and Never, rarely, sometimes, always. Mm-hmm. 
A couple movies that I think initially, did they not come out in theaters like right before? No, never rarely, sometimes always kind of was like right in the beginning of the pandemic, yeah. like a month or two in. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the thing is, of course, the pandemic is is the main factor, right? And especially since the the United States response to the pandemic is what really exacerbated things, right? Where everybody thought that we might be able to come together and solve the problem within a few months. And we weren't ultimately in that created like businesses, especially in the film industry, were able to hang on for a certain amount of months. But as things carried on ripple effects really started to take hold. And now the entire theatrical experience as an industry is in question right? I'm not even sure if the main chains are fully all still in business, you know, like Regal, Cinemark, and, and, and the like, and AMC. So who knows what 2021 has in store for us and what that's going to look like for the theatrical experience as far as the United States is concerned. From what I understand, there's countries all over the world that are relatively getting back to a sort of sense of normalcy. But uh, obviously because of this, the entire industry was scrambling, right? And so many movies either got completely delayed by a year or got pushed to some sort of streaming format. And it was a matter of what sort of success did that streaming format had. You had the ones that went directly to something like Hulu or Netflix, right? The subscribers got access to those movies or you had something that had what was called a early, what is it called? An early pass where you pay a fee to be able to get access to renting it. It's a higher than normal rental fee. And then you had something like Disney plus who tried to lane things with Mulan and then they couldn't. They felt like they couldn't anymore. They tried to create a compromise between the consumer and the uh, the financials of the film by creating this premium price to be able to get early access to Mulan, which was definitely met with some ire by subscribers and and such. And and it probably gave sort of a bad taste uh, first impression going into the movie and, and, and stuff like that. That didn't help its reviews and the response to the film. So definitely a year full of trials, tribulations, and a lot of struggle. I think it's also fair to say because of all those delays... A lot of movies that we are expecting to see in 2020 being pushed to 2021. There was a lot less thrills, a lot less fun to be had at the movies. It wasn't completely without it, but there, there it was definitely not what we expected for the year. And it'll probably have the reputation of going down as one of the worst years in film. I know that it's typical for us to just think that everything is so awful and just utter, let's not mince words, shit about 2020. And there are elements that are shitty about 2020 in the film industry. Like we didn't Mm -hmm. get to see Ghostbusters, something that I was really looking forward to. And 
Uh, we didn't get to see Wonder Woman in the theaters, something that we really needed to see in the theaters. Uh, don't get me wrong, I'm glad I get to go watch it a second time with only $15 a month, you know. Uh, but not all of it is bad. I mean, I really do miss being able to go in and totally disconnect from the world. I mean, we can watch a movie on our couch, but that's not totally disconnecting from the world because we are always multitasking. It's very rare that we're not multitasking. Oh, yeah. Um, like, you know, when we... Distractions. We, yeah. We so, but when we're in the movie theater, it's different. And when we're in the movie theater, we can be with friends and we can go for dinner afterwards. So that whole experience of movie going is, is certainly, it's so disappointing that we can't do that. Safety is number one. So don't get me wrong. But at the same time, I look at my favorite films from this year and I'm like, hey, you know what's really cool about the selection that I have here uh, based on my own preferences? I'm like, this was a really cool year for women to shine with their magic and a great year for looking at challenges women have. I think it's definitely more along the lines of white women. But it's it's great that that's getting that that's getting seen, and I hope that it'll expand to to other cultures and ethnicities of women because that would be great if we had a, a broader spectrum. But I don't think that it's all bad. There's certainly bad bits, but it's not entirely bad. Well, on that note, let's talk about what movies did make the biggest mark in the box office this year. Shanna, I'm going to run through what the top 10 through 6 highest grossing movies were of the year. I'm going to have you guess what the top 5 were, okay? Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Now, these are just the movies from this year that were the highest grossing. Bear in mind, this year was so bad in terms of grosses that... There are actually 2019 movies that carried over into the year that actually were among the highest grossing movies of the year. In the top 20, it included Frozen 2, Knives Out, and uh, Parasite, you know, uh, and Little Women as well. But here's the top, uh, the 10 through 6 actual 2020 movies. So we have at the bottom, at 31,000, 31.8 million, I mean, is The Crudes A New Age, just kind of recently released. That's probably internationally. Um, This is domestic. This is it's domestic. domestic? Yes, there are, believe it or not, some theaters throughout the country, not in the state of Washington, but throughout the country that are open. Um, so that's why Promising Young Woman was actually seen by some people, and Wonder Woman 84 was actually seen by some people in theaters. Anyway, number 10, Crudes, A New Age. Number nine, The Gentleman by Guy Ritchie, $36.4 million. Number eight, Tenet, $57.9 million in that little run that I mean, it that's had. that's pretty good, all things considered. Yes, I think that I would be interested in tracking what that actually looked like through its history, but I think that is over a four-month period of time with like some theaters having still been open. But um, I'd have to look. What did it open at? It opened at $20 million back in September. 
and has steadily slowly climbed up over the past 18 weeks up to that total of 57.9 million. So number seven, Onward by Pixar, $61.5 million, uh, possibly the last movie to have been released before the quarantine shutdowns occurred. And number six, The Call of the Wild, $62.3 million. Okay, Shanna. Now, can you tell me, can you give me a guess what you think the top five highest grossing movies of 2020 were? Probably Birds of Prey. That was kind of, what, in March? February? More like February. February. So probably Birds of Prey. Okay, you think Birds of Prey is one? That um, that was number three with 84.1 Honey, I million. promise I can't see the screen. He's like blocking it with his hand. Okay. Um, probably Bad Boys uh, 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 3. Okay, Bad Boys for Life. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. That was number one at $206.3 million. Oh, wow. Okay, if this was a normal movie schedule, like that's so... I don't think that would have lost it no. for the summer, you know, at least. What else were we graced with the presence of? Um, okay, you've mentioned Pixar. There weren't any other Disney films released. Uh, did The Invisible Man do okay? I think that kind of came just before. Was it just Th- That was after? also like February, I think. Oh. Uh, Invisible Man, number five at $70.4 million. Okay, how many are left? Two? Two. One from mm. Universal, one from Paramount. That's not helping me. Can you give me the genre? Family movies. Oh, really? Oh, well, shoot. I don't know. I, I give up. What? What's the last two? Okay, so as I said, going countdown here, number five was The Invisible Man, 70.4 million. Mm-hmm. Four was Doolittle at 77 oh, million dollars. No, no, no. Number three was Birds of Prey, 84.1 million. Number two was Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh, yes. $146 million. And then number one was Bad Boys for Life, $206.3 million. You see, what's interesting is we look at those five films, and I I know that we saw a few of them in the cinema, but I do not remember going to see Sonic, even though you said we saw Sonic we in the definitely cinema. definitely did, yeah. Like, I don't remember. Of the top ten mo- highest-grossing movies of the year, we saw one, two, three, four of them. I don't. I think we rented Bad Boys and we rented Invisible Man. I believe. Yeah. Okay. And we didn't see the others. So that's that's what the the box office looked like. Now, what we typically do, in addition to that, is we tend to go through categories that we have in in kind of naming our picks of all these different categories, looking back at the year. Okay, so we're going to go through, there's uh, two, four, six, eight, uh, somewhere around 10 different categories here. Are you ready, Shanna? Yeah, let's see. Okay, so the first category let's do is best F-rated movie. Now, this is a category that we've always been a champion of since the beginning of the podcast. F-rated movies are movies that are written and or directed by women. 
and there's been a lot to choose from this year. It's been a really good year for F-rated films. Absolutely. Just on a direct a, a director perspective alone. So, Shanna, what did you land on as your pick for the best F-rated movie? Man, this was so freaking difficult. Uh, let me tell you what was in the running for it. It was Shirley. Okay. First Cow. Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Birds of Prey mm-hmm. and The Craft Legacy. Okay. Were like, oh no, don't make me choose. <laughs> yeah. You know, n- never mind the rest of what could qualify. But I ended up landing on Birds of Prey because it was such a fun, exciting, and freeing experience. And going with my girl, going with you, and then going with my girlfriends after was so fun and just really enjoyable and it really breezes through really fast what women have to deal with in this world and I I liked it and there was revenge attached to it so that was really cool you know what a harlequin is a harlequin's role is to serve it's nothing without a master no one gives two shits who we are beyond that the Joker and I broke up. I wanted a fresh start. But it turns out I wasn't the only dame in Gotham looking for emancipation. Spectacular news! Miss Queen, she belongs to me. Who are you guys? I'll accept broad lady woman and on occasion bitch. Bitch? What are you talking about? that for me, William? (laughs) Yes. I... I agree with that, and I think we'll, uh, what you just said is an element that we'll hear more about a little bit later as we go along in our podcast here. What but, did you um, land on? I, the, there's, you're going to hear some contradictory opinions here oh, okay. <laughs> about about this and another category. All right. It's going to, it's not, it doesn't cohere quite well, I'm realizing. But I did land on Birds of Prey also. What? Yes. Hey! now that's yes. pretty funny and i think one thing that you didn't do that we both should do that's really important is really credit the director kathy yan here and and christina hodgson also the screenwriter so the, this is a triple f rated movie 
right? It's one of a handful of the movies that we saw that were triple F rated. And Margot Robbie was a big part of the creative process, being a producer here and having her idea of what direction she wanted Harley Quinn to go in from Suicide Squad and what sort of issues she had with that experience and what the character was like in that film. And I thought, this first of all, this was one of the movies I was looking forward to most mm. in 2020. It was definitely the movie I was looking forward to most in the winter of 2020. And it was a huge, hugely satisfying experience. Absolutely adore Margot Robbie in it. I adore Mary Elizabeth Winstead bringing a version of Huntress to the screen. Very different from the comic book version, but I thought she was great Mm. in it. And I also really like this version of Black Canary by Journey Smollett-Bell. Rosie Perez, I really appreciated seeing her character being brought to the screen for the first time and how she represented that. Just everybody brought a character from DC Comics to the screen, mostly for the very first time in very interesting, unique, and fun ways. It was a blast, and it was thematically satisfying as well as visually, just aesthetically, and experientially thrilling. So that's my pick for best F-rated movie. I really hope these women get future opportunities here. Okay, so we're going to get into a bunch of categories that have counterpoints here, all right? Okay, so let's do the pairing of the counterpoints first. Shanna, what is the most overrated movie of 2020? I think the most overrated film, and people will probably hate me for this, but I don't give a shit because it's my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) All right, way to put up those walls. Yeah, right. Okay, so yeah, that's not very very mature. Um, And very of this time thing to do. Look. Come on, spit it out. It's I'm thinking of ending things. I I just feel like it's so overrated. And there's so many people pouring over it that love it and love the, 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 what is it? The the surreal, the surrealness of it. And I'm like, it's not the first film that's ever done that. You know, it's just, I, I can't stand it. I hate the way the woman is portrayed in it. The fact that she's called the woman and she doesn't even have a name. I just, I, yeah, it's overrated. Okay. This was a tough, tough category for me. And it's not the only category that was tough for me. I don't feel like this is a year that has an Irishman or a Joker or a number of other examples that we've talked about in the past where people are just gushing over something that I have seen because I haven't seen, I'm thinking of ending things. And yes, there are, there is definitely some gushing going on there regarding that movie. But from what I have seen, I had a really hard time gauging that. And because there wasn't much to draw from in that regard. So for me, the closest I could say in terms of... I know what you're going to say. What? Are you going to say Tenant? No. Oh, okay. Oh, that's an interesting choice, though. Because I thought you would pick no. that because everybody is so diehard about Christopher Nolan. But okay, what what is your pick? Well, here's the thing about that. Because yes, yes, there are some... 
if you go onto social media, mm-hmm. there is definitely a hard-headed fanaticism about that film and Christopher Nolan, where they're like, he's made another masterpiece, <laughs> and how dare you say that? You must not Look, have Look, I love it, the right? guy too, but we're all, like, we're not perfect. But critically speaking, mm-hmm. that is not an overrated movie too. So you take the two... Okay. And like that, you know, there's definitely criticisms against that film out there. I landed on the nest by Sean Durkin. Huh? (laughs) Cool. It's a movie that, okay. When I look at on Metacritic, the movies that's being mentioned in top 10 lists, it's maybe just outside the top 30 movies that are mentioned most often on critics lists. It is a movie that I think has been nominated for several awards, too. Oh. Um, I think it's just outside the top 10 most nominated awards, or movies, I should say. And, you know, it is one that I am seeing in some best of the year lists. And I just kind of feel like it's not that great Mm. it's almost a contender for the movie that i don't get because but there's one that definitely overshadowed it because i kind of was as i explained earlier kind of left with a huh okay and i it's like the irishman last year i listened to what people are saying about it and i have to get into my into a place where i can appreciate actively what they're saying rather than like that appreciation coming organically to what is happening in the movie if that makes any sense whatsoever where it's like okay i see why they appreciate that Hmm. but i just don't think like objectively on the whole like it's that great a presentation of the the things it's aiming for so the nest is what worked for me as the most overrated movie of 2020. Conversely, Shanna, Shanna, what is the most overlooked, i.e. underrated movie of the year? Now, typically we gauge this by box office of a movie that we really champion or you really liked that hardly anybody saw, but you can't do that this year. So what was the movie that kind of came and went that no one's really talking about that they really should be? So here's my deciding factor. If my friends aren't talking about it, or if my family and friends aren't even easily convinced to watch it, Mm -hmm. then I feel like that's overlooked because my, my people, they need to, they need to see it. You know, it's important and, Uh, That's kind of what I'm basing it off of this year. Okay. And that movie is never, rarely, sometimes, always. It's just, it's such an important one. Like, I know that if I'm, you know, telling my girlfriends to watch it, I'm kind of preaching to the choir because, hey, like, this is our life being depicted, finally. Not necessarily carrying through with an abortion or something, but everything that's connected to it. And... uh, you know, like, I, I know it's not a pleasant, it's not birds of prey, you know, <laughs> right, <laughs> we're yeah. not going to go have a good time. And, but I really think that this needs to get talked more, talked about more within my own circles. Mm-hmm. This was a, a little bit difficult 
for me to gauge. I really had to go with the whole like blip concept of what what was a kind of a blip in terms of a release that hardly anybody noticed. And, you know, especially critics weren't necessarily uh, championing much. So, you know, I considered the Vast of Night in that sense. Uh, critics are championing mm. that, but I'm not hearing enough people having seen it or talk about it. I considered... What did I consider? I considered Yes, God, Yes, sort of a, a blip of a release on Independence. Uh, I see it on the shelves at Fred Meyer all the time. I don't see it flying off the shelves, you know. But what I landed on for this, using the blip metric, was the Craft Legacy. it feels fast but it's nice isn't it to have a family unit come on in to meet the boys they're really excited to meet you how are you feeling about school you can meet some new friends i know why the caged bird sings oh, wow man. that is super nasty oh, my God. all right enough settle down to everyone. He's made us all cry at one point or another. You should come over after school. What is all this? This is a ceremony to celebrate you. Why would you celebrate me? Because you're out fourth. Just in time for first period. Half the battle of having powers is believing you do. That's why covens have always been important. If we can do that, what else can we do? We need to put a spell on Timmy. We don't want to hurt him though, right? She's right. The number one rule of the craft. If a person is a danger to herself or others, they will be bound. I was starting to get a little worried. Sorry, I was just hanging out with my friends. Oh, we've gone too far. Was this just like some game to you? Oh, no. I feel different. Be careful. A lot of weirdos out here. We are the weirdos, mister. A movie that yeah. we were looking forward to that... Specifically because of Zoe Lister-Jones. Yes. And it it actually kind of like... It's, it's a release kind of was came as a surprise because I didn't even know about it being released this year until like a couple weeks, right? Because it got de- delayed, you know, the whole... The whole no theater sort of situation. Yeah, it was going to be a really killer Halloween year for movies, I think. Mm. And uh, it kind of came and went. And then it got really bad word of mouth also. The what little word of mouth it did get. I, I saw very little people talking about this. But like what ones I did see were negative. And I think it's really worth a look. 
I I think that I mean we reviewed the movie for crying out loud. You can listen to more of our thoughts on that, but it has its it's not it's not perfect, but it definitely has a lot of interesting stuff going on. It's an improvement on the original in many ways in terms of providing more interesting material. And I just don't think enough people are giving it a shot. Uh, it kind of came and went, and what little people are hearing is negative. So they think, why bother? It, it deserves more. So that is my pick for most overlooked or underrated movie of the year, The Craft Legacy. Okay, Shanna. What is the movie that you don't get? The movie that everybody is just mm-hmm. praising, and you're like, mm-hmm. I, what? I think I think we all know which movie this is. Is it Can the, you guess? Is it the same? Is it? It, it is unfortunately it? is. I couldn't vary it up enough. Okay, go ahead. It's. I'm thinking of ending things. I'm like, you know what? I, if I have to hear one more person praise the shit out of that, I'm gonna lose my fucking mind. <laughs> you know, like, I I love the actors in this film, and of course they did a great job but the film itself i'm just like why don't you go jump off a bridge you know that's how i feel about it wow yeah yes you do so there we go that's my pick for that oh how about you which one did you pick seeing as how you didn't suffer with me on this film yeah so the movie i didn't get is a movie that is currently i'm on the top five most mentioned movies on top uh, critics top 10 lists it is steve mcqueen's lovers rock oh that one okay yeah i am hearing people and before i even saw the movie i'm hearing people like saying yeah that's a really interesting one you really got to see that one that one's a standout of the small axe movies blah 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 blah. yeah i agree with them and it's i guess it's just me but i watched it and Mm. i really had a hard time engaging with it 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 to me was just a lot of not much happening i i get it's trying to i guess demonstrate the safe space where this this community of west indians in england could be themselves and and feel safe and and be comfortable and even then like um, well that's not even 100 percent true because not everyone's safe in this space actually but i i uh, mm, i just didn't get it i was so disappointed by this movie it was a constant camera pan it seemed to me for the most part of people dancing there is one or two interesting moments in the whole, what is it, 80 minutes or something? Yeah, it's not very long. And so, yeah, that was the movie I didn't get. Steve McQueen's Lovers Rock from the Small Axe film series. Uh, conversely, Shanna, what is the movie they don't get? Uh, the movie that got, you know, very lukewarm to negative response, and you're like, hold on here, there's a lot more going on in this movie. You should really look at it again. Yeah, yeah. It's it's hard to feel very confident about my answer with this one because mm-hmm. I'm kind of, you know, we're so alone this year, you know. I don't, I don't engage too much on social media or on Metacritic or Rotten Tomatoes or anything like that. But I think I'm going to go for Wendy. 
Remember the voice in your head? The one that said, Sneak away. Here is the place it came from. trying to do something really unique I think it can be tricky to try and conceptualize such a character's origin essentially mm-hmm. yeah and I think that what he did with it was creative and visually appealing and the music was beautiful and you know we've talked about this already but I think there's more to it and that it can be revisited and reinterpreted upon a second viewing. Like, I don't think it deserves to be completely thrown under the bus. Fair enough. For me, I was going to say that the, the movie they didn't get was Birds of Prey because of the reasons that you had outlined before about what this movie is saying about the female experience. And I didn't see that a lot of people got that during its release. But at the same time, I think the movie also got like an, an 88% positive on Rotten Tomatoes too, you know? So um, I don't think necessarily people, not enough people didn't get that movie or appreciate that movie. I think the movie that um, really people didn't get was a film that conversely got a 48% on Rotten Tomatoes. And that is The Craft Legacy. I thought about that one too. I was baffled, baffled, Shanna, by what little talk there was about this movie and how extraordinarily negative it was. I mean, I, I, I've seen like one or half star reviews of this movie or whatever, right? And, and, and also like only 48%. It, it's a divisive film apparently because it is bordering on that 50-50 kind of location on the, on the tomato meter. But 
I I was baffled by how much people didn't seem to get about what it was doing that it was so interesting. How it was showing us a little bit more of what like women have to deal with and it also showed like women camaraderie in ways that the original movie didn't really show and the movie doesn't try to get by so much on star wattage like the original did Mm. and so it it works it, it works harder on character development it has this metaphor of male toxicity going uh for it as well the fact that 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 the the toxic alpha male anti-feminist is the actual villain that that's that mentality is the villain of the story i thought there was so much that this movie was doing that zoe lister jones brought to the table here i was baffled that people weren't appreciating everything that it brought to the and also you have a trans teen in it and and there's just so many, so many things that I thought was interesting, and I was, I was fairly surprised by. So, for me, the craft legacy is the movie they didn't get. Shanna, what is the biggest surprise of 2020? The maybe the movie that you had eh, middling to low expectations for, and it really exceeded those expectations. Well, it's funny that you've just mentioned what you did. It's the craft legacy. I wasn't sure what was going to happen. And once you told me that the craft legacy was coming out, I was like, oh, is it a reboot? Is it a sequel? What the hell is this? And then I saw the trailer and I was like, okay, the trailer looks exactly like the craft trailer. Okay. And I was like, oh, no. And I was very nervous. And I, you know I'm a big fan of Zoe Lister-Jones. but Yes, that's was, why it was among your most anticipated movies yeah. of the year. But I was also very scared because oh. when there's movies about witches, mm-hmm. it, you know, they're either trying to do good with witches and they fail or pass, or they're trying to show witches as this evil thing okay, and yeah. they fail or pass, you right. know? So it's this very tricky subject matter. And if you identify as a witch yourself, it's it's even trickier because it's like, well, that doesn't represent, you know, what I believe or, or things like that. You know, I think people forget that there are practicing witches, you know? Uh, there's practicing pagans, there's Wicca and, and anything and everything in between. So it always makes me nervous. But when I saw what they were doing and how they were bringing it into this, what would it look like today Mm -hmm. kind of mentality and what are women still fucking dealing with today? Mm -hmm. I mean, something, a line that is very important is the, the villain of that film says, we are your rulers and kins. And honestly, the, the root, that they take with this film from the very beginning of what happens to Lily, the, the main character, is like, no, we fucking birthed you and we can take you out, is actually what it is. And so it's this okay. really nice, look, it's a bit extreme, but it's, it's kind of this nice flipping of your toxic masculinity is ridiculous. It's not even scary anymore. It's just ridiculous. Mm. So I, I really like that. The biggest surprise for me this year, I almost was going to go with Bill and Ted Face the Music because I was not really interested in that movie. I 
I had a very mild curiosity about that movie. It was going to be a, mm, we'll rent it eventually kind of thing. And we ended up having to review it because of the schedule constantly being messed up. It ended up be, <laughs> being the only thing of note that came out with our podcast schedule. And um, so, and, and it surprised me. But the biggest surprise of the year was a movie that, is part of a franchise that, frankly, I grew to have mostly a distaste for. And from a creator, I have had a largely a distaste for that's often kind of relishes in the worst instincts of us. But the movie ended up being really enjoyable. And that is Bad Boys for Life. man you can get that buffed out no you can get that buffed out remember knock and talk yeah knock knock mighty pd get down what the hell happened to knock and talk hands behind your head right now i got this i'm gonna penetrate this man's soul with my heart what watch and learn sir i realize that you're scared you know sometimes fear. how deep you think you got in his soul I'm done, Mike. I'm retiring. Uh-oh, here we go again. You want your legacy to be muscle shirts and body counts? Look at this mess, it's carnage. I didn't do all this. You didn't shoot anybody? Well, come on, Captain, you know I shot some people. Yeah. Fuck me! Streets, I never trusted anybody but me. I'm asking you, man. Bad boys. One last time. One last time. I'm the definition of half man, half drugs. Ask the clubs. Bad boy, that's what's up. He trying to do them all. We're not just black, we're cops too. We'll pull ourselves over later. <laughs> it's official. I survived what I've been through. Y'all got drama, the saga continues. Right about the glasses. I've been telling your ass for a year. He can't be stopped now. Shit, Mike. These are like HD. This is bad boy Bad boys, bad boy. Hey, what, what she gonna do? do? What, what she gonna, gonna do when we come in? Hey, 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 uh-uh. No, no, never. Y'all will never do that again. Yeah, and you fucking up the lyrics, which take a long time to learn. Cause it's bad boys for life. Yes. Ooh. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. It's yes. your biggest it's your biggest surprise. Yes. Is it because of the first 10 minutes? Wait, did you even see Bad Boys 2? Lovey. Oh, yes. you did. We watched it together. We've That's talked right. a no, lot okay. about Bad Boys 2. Oh my god, I'm so surprised. Well, there you go. It's your biggest <laughs> surprise too. That's my surprise. 
yeah, I, I I really like hate Bad Boys too. I really mm-hmm. liked the first movie. I thought it was fun. It was a is for what it was in the nineties. It was a really cool debut by Michael Bay. I thought he got better with the Rock, and then he kind of wallowed for a long time and ruined the Transformers uh, after the first one. Yes. But and and he really really wallowed in the Transformers for a while, and no one could say no to him about any decision he made. He stepped aside for Bad Boys for Life. And that is one of the greatest things that could possibly have happened for Bad Boys. Because uh, what we get here is something that's a little bit more interesting. It's been a while since I've watched it, but it's a little bit more interesting than I expected and a lot more fun than I expected. It's not perfect. It has, you know, flaws. But um, I was surprised by how much I ended up enjoying it. I think we watched it because, like, for you. Like, you were the bigger Bad Boys fan and you were yeah. more curious than I was. I was prepared to tolerate it well and you know it's a covid year it's not like our time was being taken up by things in the cinema or or other stuff and so we had the time and i think it was did we get it in the mail oh uh, like a netflix dvd yeah Uh, i i feel like it was probably a red box thing we did not see it in the theaters in february but or january one of those two but yeah so anyway that's my biggest surprise of 2020 is that bad boys for life is actually good guys (laughs) it's actually worthwhile it's actually fun Mm. you know what i think makes it good is you have the directors are two longtime fans of bad boys and they take all the good elements and they focus on that. Well, and also Martin Lawrence. I remember praising Martin Lawrence in Oh, yeah. Too. The actors are great. Um, I love the first 10 well, minutes of that film. I didn't expect to want to praise Martin Lawrence for crying out loud. It's Martin Lawrence. But he's actually an interesting element uh, in, in the movie. So, yeah. anyway, uh, moving on. That's, that's my biggest surprise. Well, good for you. That was very fun and surprising. <laughs> All right. So, that, m- that moves us to the last two categories, Shanna. Okay. Let's start with the negative. Shanna, what is the worst movie of 2020? Yeah, okay. So we're going to give... I'm thinking of ending things a little break. (laughs) And the worst film of this year was The Secret Garden. It was such a blatant fuck you to the story and the children of the 1993 movie yeah where they were finally there was this film that acknowledged bad neglectful parents Mm. and they totally fucked that up in this film look there's a there's there's a spectrum of bad bad parental figures there's you're abusive toxic disgusting and put cigarettes in a child that's really bad on the spectrum and then somewhere in the, you know, on the farthest end, there's even, you know, you're so good, you don't even parent. And then in the middle somewhere, there's where the secret garden from 93 is. And okay. that's parents that popped you out and don't even acknowledge your presence or don't want to have anything to do with you or or whatever. Maybe my scale's a that's little wonky. <laughs> Okay. Like maybe this is the scale of bad. Okay. Like okay, this is okay, the, okay. There's no good featured in this scale. We talked a lot about this we in did. the last episode. There's nothing. There's the, the only thing that tries to be good in this film 
is the visual effects and even that is a detriment to the story because the actual secret garden is an actual garden taking time and naturally healing people through time and tending and in this film it, it it's like the secret garden doesn't even necessarily need the children whereas in the 93 oh, version okay, yeah. the children need the garden and the garden needs the children and mm. it's this mutually beneficial nature human relationship that heals humans at the same time and and that does not happen in in this film in this film we're excusing why the parents are the way they are which I'm on board for most of the time as much as the next person, but the way that they should not have done that in this story. So you are the worst film of the year. Thank you. Good so, night. There's a secret garden and you make some really good points about that, Shanna. For me though, <laughs> here's some opportunity. To, we had a weekend review in the uh, sometime in the past recent episodes that got lost due to technical difficulties. And in that week in, <laughs> review, week in review, we discussed a movie that I, is the worst movie I've seen in 2020. It baffles me when people say, oh yeah, that was really good. That was fun. It is Run with Sarah Paulson. <laughs> it, it sucks that your, our your discussion- make me laugh. <laughs> It sucks that our discussion is lost to time. And I apparently didn't even make notes on that movie. We talked about it like the, shortly after seeing it. But the movie's preposterous. The movie is absolutely ludicrous, ridiculous. Sarah Paulson's character is so bad. And it's, it's Sarah Paulson doing a tired version or a tired type of character that she has done numerous times of don't fuck with me cause I'm on edge kind of like <laughs> thing. And, and I'm tired of it. I want to see her break out. I was happy to see her in Mrs. America and, and a couple other things where she's not that unhinged character, but <laughs> I'm so glad we get to have a recording of you doing this. <laughs> The, the plot mechanics of that movie are ridiculous and and the the ending is just bad like there's so much about this movie i've heard people like the slash film cast articulate even even better like how absurd this movie is i wish i had my articulation of everything that was terrible <laughs> about this movie on record still but we don't so you just get my vague memories of a movie we saw a month and a half ago that is just 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 an awful movie this is not this is not a decent thriller guys this is a a poorly thought through thriller and i liked the director's previous movie searching it was one of my biggest surprises of 2018 i think it was and this is a huge letdown this is the third director that i've mentioned that uh, that let me down this year in 2020 with Ben Zeitlin and, and uh, Sean Durkin and now this guy. So anyway, run. Worst movie of 2020. So bad. Conversely, let's end on a positive note before we get into our yeah, favorites. That means the best movie of the year, doesn't it? Yes. This and is this not, is like try to be objective about it's it. It's not your favorite movie. We're yeah. going to get into your favorites. What is the best movie? The best constructed, best acted, whatever it is. The best movie that you saw in 2020. It was tough. It was between two films. 
both F-rated films. Oh. And it just so happened that I landed on First Cow. Very cool. By Kelly Reichardt. What's your name? King Lou. They call me Cookie. My mother died when I was born, and then my father died. I never stopped moving. It's the getting started that's the puzzle. No way for a poor man to start. You have a cow. First cow in the territory. Same place for cows. Well, it's no place for a white man either. I sense opportunity here. Good Lord, give me another. I'll give you six ingots for that last one. I taste London in this game. We have to take what we can when the taking is good. It seems dangerous. So is anything worth doing? A royal cow. Until she barely produces a thing. Some people can't imagine being stolen from. Let's hope he's one of those. We got a window here, Cookie. History isn't here yet. It's coming, but maybe this time we can take it on our own terms. There's something so beautiful and heartbreaking and gratitude-inducing about that film. yeah. No, no, it like makes me grateful that I don't live in that time and okay. that I have running water and a warm house that isn't made out of logs and mud. Okay. I like I'll drive past areas like sanctuaries along the road. Yeah. And I'll think to myself, oh my God, I guess they, they could have shot first cow right there, just avoid the freeway. Right, right. And I think to myself, oh my gosh, people probably trudged through there. I have this new appreciation for the land that's around us, the land that we're on, and for people coming over. And I'm not happy with exactly how they did it, but there's there's definitely this new appreciation for there was a time before me, there yeah. was a time where there was a lot of struggles where they couldn't even have cow milk. Not that I want cow milk, I'm allergic, but, you know. There's it's also an entrepreneur film. I was... Yes, absolutely. There's an entrepreneurial spirit there, but also there's this promise of a future and mm. not for the characters, but like for the country and what we do with that promise and that potential and that future. That's very interesting and very topical. It's just a tiny little moment of reflection that happens in that quiet little film. There's so much that happens in this film. Yeah. So much with the, the dialogue between the two main characters and then this inclusion of the other characters. There is so much that can be talked about, analyzed. You know, you could study this in history. You could study this in geography in high school. You could really get a lot out of this piece of work. So I'm really happy to hear you say this about a Kelly Reichardt fan. I, she's uh, someone that I've appreciated for years. I think I have a piece on the Gibson Review where I named her the number one director you must keep, you must watch, keep an eye out for. A female director you must watch and keep an eye out for. First Cow is the second highest movie, most mentioned movie on top ten lists by critics. 
so that is an excellent, excellent choice, Shanna. Mine is Eliza Hitman's Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Whoop, whoop. I didn't see you at school today. I went to the doctor. What's wrong? Girl problems. Don't you ever just wish you were a dude? All the time. This is the most magical sound you will ever hear. I'm just not ready to be a mom. Where else could you go? Nowhere in Pennsylvania. I think you should try another place. You going to New York? What are you doing there? Seeing family and stuff. Used to be on Who came with you today? My cousin. Do you have a place to stay tonight? I know you came from far away. I'll figure it out. This area's closed. Do not sleep here. Where's the rest of the money? La, 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 la. I want to make sure that you're safe. La, 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 la. I know this is hard. you some questions they can be really personal just answer either never rarely sometimes or always it's been a few months since we watched the film but i remember this being a towering film for it being a small independent film about a couple days in one teenager's life it felt when i saw it such a huge mountain for any other film in 2020 to climb and surmount in terms of its greatness as a film this film if you're not familiar is about a teenager who is trying to get help with an abortion and her cousin helps her and takes her to another city because outside of her state, by the way, because you can't have abortions in her state, I think without parental consent or something like that. If you're of a certain age or, or either either that, or they don't, they flat out don't do abortions and they, they try to educate you into other options. Right. And Mm -hmm. it's a very faith centered means of handling things. And this Very, film is just I so think powerful. Faith controlling is a better description. That's your description, not mine. But yes, <laughs> it's a very powerful film. It's very powerful because, like, it puts you in the subjective experience of what young women deal with on a day to day basis, closer to uh, anything I will ever understand. And there are moments in here speaking to that experience that are very powerful and, and, and great. And so I didn't experience a movie with near that amount of power and simpli- with, with its simplicity as never, rarely, sometimes, always. So that is my pick for best movie of 2020. 
it is not getting as much praise as First Cow is. It, it is up there, though. It is the fourth most mentioned film on top ten lists. It's gotten on number one six times versus First Cow's 15 times. We can add that on onto uh, the pile there. So those are our picks for all those different categories. In full disclosure, there are a handful of movies that we didn't get to watch that we're not necessarily sure would have made it onto any of these lists, but those movies are Black is King on Disney+, Plus, Sylvie's Love on Prime, His House on Netflix, 40-Year-Old Version on Netflix, Freaky and Greenland, both on Amazon and Love and Monsters. Promising Young Woman, also, as we mentioned before, a movie that released in theaters in the States in 2020 somewhere, we didn't get to see one of our biggest regrets, I think, right? Mm-hmm. One Night in Miami, I think, also technically has released, but I'm not positive about that. That's another one we haven't seen. And Nomad Land is a very controversial movie for me in terms of Best of 2020 because it technically has not actually been released outside of screeners and festivals. And to me, if the general public is not able to see a movie through even a limited release in in a couple cities in the States, then it can't be considered a movie of that year. So for me, Nomadland is a 2021 movie. We'll talk about it next year, probably even review it when it finally does get released. But those are the movies that we haven't seen, which is why we haven't talked about them. But let's talk more about movies we have seen and end this episode on a celebration of 2020 by moving on to film faves. Film Phase, for those who aren't familiar, is our segment of the podcast where we count down our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. The idea is to give you a sense of our taste in movies, but also to help expose you to movies or titles that you may not have seen or heard of. To that end, we try to point you in the direction of any subscription streamers that you can find these movies on. We focus on Apple TV+, Plus. Amazon Prime, Hulu, Netflix, Disney Plus, and HBO Max. Not all the time is that uh, applicable in our case, but if they're not, usually you can rent them on Amazon or something, but we will let you know when they are available on those platforms. Okay, Shanna, so we talked a lot about this year. Is there anything you want to add in terms of crafting your list of the challenges or ease with which you're able to do that or anything else that you noticed while crafting your list? I was a little disappointed in myself. I put a lot of pressure on myself, I think. I couldn't get documentaries on there. I just, oh, I maybe got one on. Okay. Yeah, I decided to eliminate one from my list, but... The 12 that I had really are favorites. And I think it's a great depiction of the direction that we're going in uh, showing women's stories. I had a hard time making a full list of 12 that I loved. I could make easily eight movies that I really loved, really enjoyed. Uh, so the bottom of this list, and, and, and honestly, the number 12 spot was a tough one too because there was a few that could go there. But the, the beginning of this list will be probably movies I really like um, more than like 
really love and and maybe movies i haven't even seen in several months so my memory is a little vague but mm. i remember being really positive on them i too. think i can relate to that too yeah so uh get us started why don't you with your 12th favorite movie of 2020 my number 12 is the new mutants x-men's the new mutants this is something that we did get to experience in the theater it was one of the last things. Yeah, you know, the in-between COVID times and quarantine. Yeah, when uh, theaters opened up just, yeah, just a little, little bit. bit. Yeah. <laughs> we got to see three films, and this was one of them. And I was pleased with where they went with this film. It had a lot of delays. I think it had a lot of rewrites and reshoots, and I was pretty pleased with how it turned out. I was happy to see it. I thought it was much better than the Phoenix one, Phoenix Rising. Dark Phoenix. Dark Phoenix. And I enjoyed it. I thought it spoke to a few things about teen experiences. We have reviewed this film, and that's my number 12, The New Mutants. Yeah, it didn't get to have reshoots, but we did uh, review that. We were fairly positive on that film. I'm surprised it's it's number 12 for you. For me, it was the first movie that came out during the COVID era that gave people a sense of delight or a sense of fun, a sense of enjoyment. And that was a movie that went to Hulu that had to change course and from theatrical to Hulu and it is Palm Springs. It is, of course, this time loop movie where it's really more about the woman. I think her name is uh, Christina Milan. I, I might be wrong about that, but she's, she was in How, to, How I Met Your Mother and, and several other things. And it's really about this woman like discovering the time loop that some other person is in and she gets trapped in it as well. And it's fun. It's a fun movie. I remember having a couple mild issues with it at the time, but it's one of the first enjoyable experiences I had in a fairly unenjoyable situation. And so um, that's my number 12, Palm Springs from Hulu. My number 11 is a documentary. It is Dick Johnson is Dead. Really? Dick Johnson is dead? You enjoyed it that much? I thought it was so magical, and we have spoken about this film before, but basically it's an exploration of how about celebrating your death now while you're still alive? <laughs> and uh, But it takes the form of, you know, her father. I forgot who whose film this is. Who is it? I'll look it up. So her father is living in Seattle and he needs to come and live with her on the East Coast. And so she takes that as an opportunity to have him say goodbye and have everyone else say goodbye to him. And I just thought it was lovely. There's fantastical elements that happen in this film. It's mostly documentary, but she also realizes, well, I need to, I need to film my dad because when my mom got sick, I barely had any footage of her and I miss her. Kristen Johnson is the director, the director of camera person a few years yes, ago. Yes, that's and, right. And it is like she puts, she kills her dad several times, a handful yes, of times, right? She has fun with it. Kind of getting used to the idea of her dad dying. 
Yeah, like I think one time her dad dies from eating his favorite chocolate fudge cake. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So a really fun one, taking something that's fairly serious, losing a parent, to something that's kind of joyful. My number 11 favorite. Oh, and by the way, that's available on Netflix. Dix Johnson is dead. I don't know if you caught that, but it's true. My 11th favorite movie of 2020 is Bad Boys for Life. I can't believe this made your list. <laughs> you like okay, you must have really liked it. Okay, t- I'm going to show. Well, it's it's not in my top 6 or anything, but like Palm Springs, it is one of the most enjoyable movies of the year and also as I mentioned before, it was one of the biggest surprises of the year. So mm. it was a fun film. This is this year was not really packed with a lot of fun. Not that a movie has to be fun to be a favorite of mine, but you know it definitely helps in the year 2020, <laughs> and and it was. And so for all the reasons I mentioned before earlier in the podcast and now, Bad Boys for Life is uh, my 11th favorite movie of 2020. My number 10 is available for a couple more weeks. It is Wonder Woman 1984. You can find it on HBO Max. I love this film. There are certain things they do in this film that a Wonder Woman fan would be joyous to witness. And I just love it. And I love seeing Gal Gadot. I love seeing Kristen Wiig as Cheetah. I thought that Cheetah was one of the best parts of this film. And I just... I, I mean, we reviewed it, so go check that out. I'm kind of just lightning round doing this. It's, <laughs> you know, it's number 10. Yay. My 10th favorite movie of the year is another movie from earlier that I think I've seen twice, I think. Maybe not. But I need to, I definitely need to see it a second time if I haven't already. It is The Invisible Man on HBO Max. Ooh. Which I thought was a very effective thriller. Very surprising how good it is. It's a really interesting reimagining of the original story and the original character created by H.G. Wells and popularized in the 1933 film, which had Claude Rains. You know, again, you know, it's interesting. I'm noticing this recurring idea of these movies that are being told from the female perspective and about the female perspective. And this is one about a a woman who's in an abusive relationship and she's being gaslit. Did we do uh, a pairing of Invisible Man with Gaslight? Yeah, we did. It was awesome. Yeah. It was such a good idea. Good on you. Good. Go back and listen to that episode from several months ago. It It was very interesting Invisible Man was it was also one of the biggest surprises of the year. Thrilling, thrilling film. And that's available on HBO Max right now. My number nine is available on Amazon. It is The Vast of Night. One mm. night in New Mexico in the late 1950s, a switchboard operator and radio DJ discover a strange audio frequency which could change the future forever. I love the cinematography. I love the camera movements. I love the characters. I love the story. It's so unique to me. I just think it's amazing. I, I think it needs more praise. It needs more. More people need to know about it. That is definitely fair enough. That is on Amazon Prime, not just Amazon for rental. So if you're subscribed to Prime, you can see that automatically. And that movie's getting a fair amount of praise. It's the I want top this. 30. I want this on a Blu-ray. That would, that would be cool. 
My ninth favorite movie of the year is on Netflix. It is Aaron Sorkin's The Trial of the Chicago 7. Mildly surprised that it's so low on this list, actually. And I did have issues with the very final moments of the film, but, you know, we watched this a couple times now, and this movie just really crackles, and it, it says what it needs to say, and I think it does it in a very entertaining way. I think it's got a great cast in it that's delivering and helping us also understand this moment in time and these people better than I ever have seen before. I really enjoyed The Trial of the Chicago 7. It's my ninth favorite film of 2020. It's on Netflix. My number eight is Shirley, starring Elizabeth Moss. I am a huge fan of her, and this is about the famous horror writer finding inspiration for her next book after she and her husband take in a young couple. Uh, this is the woman that wrote, uh, like, that short, The Lottery. Yes. Yeah. Uh, At this what... point in her career in the film. Yeah, yes. and, and that's what's really famous right now. At in that this moment, film. Yeah, yeah. She eventually would write The Haunting of Hill House. Shirley Jackson. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really great. I love the performance. I love her twisted mind. I kind of like their marriage, too. I think that there's something interesting about it. The young couple is interesting, too, and how that evolves and concludes is also either boiling blood-inducing or just typical of that time. So I, I really like this film. My eighth favorite film is one of... A handful of movies that drew a lot of ire. Um, there was zero nuance in the response to this film, and I think, I think the pandemic and the release of this film had a big part to do with it. it is a contender for the movie that they didn't get. It is Mulan, uh, available on Disney Plus. I was a little surprised by the hate that this film got. You know, we spent so much time watching Chinese cinema yeah. leading up to it. And I was I was really impressed, uh, not just because of the fact that there is no Mushu. There was no Eddie Murphy comedic dragon. There's no music in this film. There's score. There's great score. The songs aren't in it. Uh, but on top of all that, um, and, and, and it playing... The film as a as a straight historic epic, it plays with and honors a lot of the elements that you see in Chinese cinema, and that includes a little bit of uh, wuxia. That that includes you know the historic epic aspects of it and several other things. And so I I really really dug and was just really captivated by what Nikki Caro did with this film. I feel like Disney spoiled people and kind of went about things the wrong way when they started doing all these remakes of their animated classics by just treading in what mm. people, what was familiar and, and creating this expectation of, oh, we'll just see what we know in a live action version, just carbon copied here, rather than taking what was done before and being adventurous and, and new and different about them. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if Disney had started 
that direction first, then people would be more disappointed conversely with the carbon copies and, and instead of expecting the carbon copy. And Mulan is definitely something that, like the Pete's Dragon remake, tries to do something new and different with it. And I loved it for that. So my eighth favorite film of 2020. That's a really great pick and you have really great points. What is your seventh favorite movie of the year? It is The Assistant. Oh. A searing look at a day in the life of an assistant to a powerful executive as Jane follows her daily routine. She grows increasingly aware of the insidious abuse that threatens every aspect of her position. It stars Julie Garner, who I know from The Americans. She's featured in a few episodes throughout the show. And I... Not only do I love her performance, but I also love the the zoning in on how men treat women in the workplace. Uh, not only the powerful executive, but also the other assistants in, you know, the actual office that she's in. And just bullshit that assistants have to deal with in general. Well, especially this Harvey Weinstein-like um, executive that she's an assistant to, right? Yeah, I mean, you can go that direction, but I just see him as, you know, someone who's in a position of power. And, you know, it's not all just about Harvey Weinstein. There's other men in power that have done crap like that, too. Sure. Uh, that is directed by Kitty Green, by the way, worth noting. And I don't know if you said, but it is available on oh, Hulu. I meant to say Hulu is the place to go. My seventh favorite movie of 2020 is Bill and Ted Face the Music. I had a lot of fun with this movie. It is one of the bigger surprises of the year. We watched the first two movies, kind of your first time seeing the second one when we did leading up to this third film. Uh, in ways, in some ways, all, all the movies are kind of necessary. They do kind of work together. The incredibly mediocre to poor bogus journey being a little bit less the case, but uh, I really, really had fun with this. I was very surprised. Um, it, it's not without its issues or its flaws, but I was surprised at how well they were able to return to the well so many years later and make it fun and, and kind of make this clarion call for unity and then the world coming together for a particular cause to help save the planet you know you could take that in its bigger picture form as a as a climate change sort of thing you could take it as a 2020 covid19 sort of thing but mm -hmm. um, there's something so optimistic and good-natured about this film and I love Samara Weaving in it. I can't remember the other actress who plays the other daughter in it, Ted's daughter. But it was it was it was very well done. There was some elements like, what's her name? That plays Maple in Gravity Falls. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. She played um, what's his name's da daughter in this. I, I don't the main think guy that. Yeah, Rufus, Rufus, yeah. Rufus's daughter. Um, I don't think she works at all. On the whole, the movie does. So it's my seventh favorite movie of the year. Bill and Ted face the music. My number six is The Invisible Man. Now, where did you say that was available to stream? Oh, that movie is available to stream on HBO Max. Thanks. So when, you know, this is my second Elizabeth Moss 
film in my top 12 yeah which is pretty cool i i am apparently a huge huge fan <laughs> so for those of you who don't know when cecilia's abusive ex takes his own life and leaves her his fortune with a condition she suspects his death is, is a hoax as a series of coincidences turn lethal, Cecilia works to prove that she is being hunted by someone nobody can see. And honestly, you know, it's totally relatable to some aspect. You know, you're telling someone there's an issue with this man and uh, he's after me or he's doing X, Y, Z to me and people don't listen. Every woman has gone through that. Mm. And it's, it's even more terrifying. I know that when I said to my girlfriend's pre-COVID, I was like, hey, we should totally go watch this movie. And one of my friends was like, no, no, thank you. This hits too close to home. Mm. It feels too real. You know, it's one of those horror films that has incredibly realistic um, elements to it. Yeah, uh, it's uh, astounding to me that it was directed by a male. And I think even, I don't even think it was written by a woman, if I'm not mistaken. Correct me if I'm wrong about that. It looks like it was written by him and, yeah. you know, H.G. Wells there. Right, right, know, right. Yeah, all by strong. Lee Wannell. We're at the halfway mark, and my sixth favorite movie of 2020 is Happiest Season on Hulu. This was the... I thought that would be your number 12, but cool. Yeah, no, this was the little holiday gem that offered more than I expected. Uh, again, yeah, and we talked about this in a previous episode, but there's such low expectations for Christmas movies these days. They are a dime a dime dozen there's just so much that's put out and they're usually so sugary so schmaltzy and uh not at all interesting it's comfort food for a lot of people happiest season is a little bit more than that and i was so pleased with it and it has such a great cast and Kristen stewart it's so nice this is probably the most mainstream she's been in a while i think she's totally game and she does great in it she has she has a lot of heavy lifting to do emotionally in this film because she's she's the character that that's asked to do so much and uh she's great in it and so is the rest of the cast it's it's such a funny movie and a delightful movie happiest season on hulu is my sixth favorite 2020 film Shanna, what's your fifth favorite 2020 movie my fifth favorite is the craft legacy by Zoe Lester-Jones, featuring Kaylee Spaney, Zoe Luna, Gideon Aldon, Adlon, and Lovey Simone. I love this film so much. This is a sequel to The Craft, and I've spoken about it a lot, but it's basically a coven of witches coming together and celebrating sisterhood in each other and then fighting the forces of toxic masculinity evil is the best way I can describe it, I guess. I love the updatedness of this. I love the inclusion of, of all women. Jeff got me the Blu-ray for Christmas, and I even love the deleted scenes. And uh, I, I only wish that there was a commentary with Zoe Lister-Jones and uh, maybe a couple other people. Yeah, Zoe, you listening? We would like to Zoe, hear more of your thoughts. Uh, we'll totally double dip. <laughs> we'll totally buy it again. <laughs> Uh, my fifth favorite movie of 2020 is one of the few movies that I've been looking forward to watching again. It is The New Mutants, a movie that... Let's watch that now. We've been looking forward to for 
years, it didn't look. Here's the thing. It got to a point where I was hoping it was at least good, right? It didn't knock it out of the park. It wasn't one of the best X-Men movies. It's right there in the middle, though. Mm-hmm. And, and, and because of that, there's a lot that I do enjoy about the movie. I had issues with it. If you listen to our review from a few months ago, but I, I did have fun with it. And, and I really like the characters. I really, really wish and hope that I get to see these characters come back somehow, mm-hmm. folded into the MCU in some way. That would be really great because this movie is just set up for these characters largely. And I want to see what, what they do from here. And, to, and for the movie to have the balls to try to do something different with the X-Men franchise, there's a lot to appreciate here and a lot more than people did appreciate here. I've heard this described as a nothing movie. I've heard this described oh, so rude. as one of the worst X-Men movies. That's so not true. Uh, this is way better than X-Men Origins Wolverine, guys. This is way better than Dark Phoenix way less offensive than X-Men The Last Stand. It's right there with the original X-Men movie. It's not great. It's not terrible, but it is enjoyable. And I, and so it's my fifth favorite movie of the year. My number four is Wolfwalkers. I knew that would be on your list. <laughs> yeah. I knew it. Um, a young apprentice hunter and her father journey to Ireland to help wipe out the lost wolf pack. But everything changes when she befriends a free-spirited girl from a mysterious tribe rumored to transform into wolves by night. This film is so great. And it, it, it follows that pattern and that theme of female magic. And I love the concept. I love the commentary on this fight, this fight versus marriage with nature. And the freedom that comes with embracing nature. Mm. I also love how they incorporate a second sight. You're seeing things differently when you transform into a wolf. Mm. And uh, that can be very powerful, seeing things from a different perspective versus just being human all the time. And I I also really appreciate that they went as far as just one line say you know kind of acknowledging the genocide of women when uh the man says don't fear wild girls and wolves and i just i really appreciate that they acknowledged that 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 was part of history yeah please clarify when you say the genocide of women the witch burnings there you go thank you i think that that happened between the 14 and 1700s there we go that's important to give context. A great film, absolutely. I'm not surprised it's on your list at all. That's on Apple TV+. Plus. My fourth favorite movie of the year is The Craft Legacy. Wow, I, it's higher on your list than mine. Uh, that's very shocking, actually. I didn't expect that. We've talked a lot about that movie in this episode. I don't know that I need to say any more. Why Just, don't you tell me your favorite part? That's um, not spoilery. <laughs> I have to. I, it, it's a movie I want to rewatch, and uh. re, kind of refresh some of my memory because there's certain beats I do remember best, and and the third act is especially one of those things. So I can't really do that, but I just want to encourage people to give it a shot. Craft Legacy, fourth favorite movie of the year. 
Shanna, we're in our top, your top three. What's your third favorite movie of the year? My third favorite is First Cow. Holy crap. No yeah. kidding. Uh, for those of you who don't know, a skilled cook has traveled west and joined a group of fur trappers in Oregon. Though he only finds true connection with a Chinese immigrant also seeking his fortune, soon the two collaborate on a successful business. You know, I said a lot about this earlier. I, I don't think that I need to say more about it, just other than I have such a deep appreciation for this film. One thing I didn't mention earlier is that Kelly Reichardt really takes the time to nurture and show us beautiful male relationships. And I just really appreciated seeing men, our two main characters, really develop a rapport and the encouragement that they give each other and belief in each other that they have is is it's it's a beautiful movie you know beyond everything else that i mentioned a beautiful movie about male friendship Uh, that's very cool my third favorite 2020 movie is available on hbo max for a short amount of time it is wonder woman 1984 see it by January 24th uh, on on HBO Max. We just recently had a review, a bonus review episode on it. So check that out for more of my thoughts. It's the, the one movie more than any other this year that I can recall that I could not wait to rewatch. I had such a great experience with this film. I wished I had an even better experience watching it in theaters. Mm. Mm-hmm. because there's some really dazzling and beautiful stuff here. I I really had a great time with it. I uh, and and I don't understand some of the criticism. I've heard some valid criticisms of it, but I've also heard a lot of nonsense. I don't think it's uh, you know, people are just one extreme to another lately and uh, uh the movie's fun. I had a lot of fun with it. So in few films this year did I have as much fun with as Wonder Woman 1984. So there you go. My third favorite movie of the year. I thought that was going to be your number five, but I'm glad to see that it's higher. Mm. My number two is Birds of Prey. After splitting with the Joker, Harley Quinn joins superheroes Black Canary, Huntress, Renee Montoya, who is awesome, to save a young girl from an evil crime lord. This is... It is is also my number two. What? Oh, that's great. I just... I love the color. I love the costuming, the set design, the cinematography, the, the, the quirkiness and comedy in these little pockets of the film are hilarious. Like the time when, like, Harley Quinn is trying to tell us why what's his name the black mask guy. like why black mask hates her and she lists off this this very quick list and you know you only get to see so much when you're watching it in the cinema and so yeah. my friends and i were trying to figure out like what what all got seen and you know it was what i talked about earlier like like him voting for bernie sanders you know like that's why he hates me and so it was just really really fun and i appreciate having the blu-ray i think it's a lot of fun and i don't know maybe we can go watch the commentary after this listen to the commentary is there a commentary i don't know i hope there is okay i'm really going to be pissed if it isn't because that's two female directed films now that we own from this year that wouldn't have commentary well commentary is becoming less and less common on blu-rays but i I will say that no movie did i jump at 
owning quicker than birds of prey and, and we weren't quick enough well it was hard you wanted. it was hard because of the pandemic because stores were closed and there was a whole process with some stores and you know if you want an exclusive version of the blu-ray forget about it it was not that easy um but i, I talked a lot about this movie already we reviewed the movie earlier this year i love so much margot robbie in this film if if there's a single movie that deepens my adoration of margot robbie and infatuation of her it's watching her as harley quinn she is brilliant in this film so there's not much more i can say that i haven't already said needless to say i'm right there with you apparently i'm surprised it's not our number one it was almost my number one Mm. Let's hear what your number one favorite movie of 2020 is. My number one favorite of 2020 isn't a feel-good film, but rather an appreciation and acknowledgement of female experience. It's never rarely, sometimes always. In case we haven't been clear already, a pair of teenage girls in rural Pennsylvania travel to New York City to seek out medical help after an unintended pregnancy. I, I don't know what else I could say about this film other than I hope that I hope that Eliza Hitman keeps making more. I know that I need to catch up on one or two of her films previous to this one, but I really hope that she keeps making more more films about female experiences because yes sure this is about two girls trying to get help for an unintended pregnancy but everything that happens in between and after that is all important and I'm glad it's getting represented because it causes conversations to happen like with you and I'm like oh yeah I totally had to deal with something like that and you were like really are you sure and it's like yeah it was just I I barely remember it because it's just part of my journey. And it's this reminder to get up and fight for inappropriate behavior and male toxicity and no longer accept it. And rights for your body. Absolutely. Absolutely. It doesn't matter how, and the way they describe it, unintended pregnancy. It doesn't matter how it happened. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You have the right to choose to carry through with it or not. So, on the opposite end of the spectrum. <laughs> oh, what's it going to be? Should I guess? Uh, sure. Is it American Utopia? My favorite movie of the year is David Byrne's American Utopia on HBO Max. I got one right. Yeah. Yay! Well, process of elimination. You had a little bit. No, of but a- I knew that American Utopia would be number one. I, I submitted my list to you before we started talking about this. So I totally qualify. Oh, really? My estimation list of what you're... Oh, you should have told me. I would have referred to it. So, this movie is the movie that we needed in Mm -hmm. 2020. It's for... If you're not familiar, because maybe you don't have HBO Max, it's Spike Lee's recording or filming of one or a couple different performances of um, a Broadway show that David Byrne has based on his album American Utopia from 2018 as well as other works from his time as frontman of Talking Heads. This film speaks to issues of the time. It, 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 it's, it's topical, but it's also a call for unity in our country, and it is 
a joyous joyous celebration as well there are few movies if not no movies other than american utopia this year that actually put such a huge smile on my face or made me want to get up and move it's just a great film it's just a great film i was i was surprised by it i didn't expect it as a concert film to have the significance that it has in terms of its moment in time and so yeah it's also a movie that i keep getting stuck in my head ever since i've watched it i've watched it twice now and every single time i i watch it i have it stuck in my head for the next several days and then it'll just pop back in there and and, and then you know, I'll, I'll see in a song or whatever, or hum a tune, and it's, it's infectious. It is an infectious movie. It is an absolutely <laughs> infectious movie. Great dancing, great musical performances, very well shot and, and, and whatnot. Uh, great collaboration between David Byrne and Spike Lee. So it is my number one, my favorite movie of 2020. David Byrne's American Utopia on HBO Max. If you have not seen it, just like Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, we urge you to do so. And then wash everything down <laughs> with Birds of Prey. <laughs> so those are our favorite movies of 2020. Feel free to email us what your favorite movies were of 2020, as well as your picks for the previous categories of the year. Shanna, before we wrap up and move on, were there any movies that you regretted not catching up with before recording this episode? And we know that Promising Young Woman was outside our purview and a, and a huge, un, unfortunate regret of ours. I mean, we can't really regret it because... It's outside our control. We couldn't get it, yeah. Yeah. I really wanted to see Love and Monsters on Amazon. I really wanted to watch 40-year-old 40, 40 version on Netflix. I wanted to see Black is King on Disney+. Plus. One Night in Miami would have been great. Yes, couldn't get access to that anywhere. Because that is that the same person that did Soul that collaborated with Soul? He wrote the script. I forgot about that. Okay. Yes, but who directed it? I think is Regina King, the actress. Oh, oh, okay. Um, Who's in like a uh, Watchmen? Yeah, and a lot of stuff. She's in yeah. like If Beetle Street Could Talk, and did you say If Beetle Street? I meant to say the other one. Beetle Street, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, everything's just coming out of my mouth. Wrong. Yeah, yeah. I have very little regrets myself. It's really just the movies I couldn't get access to. Promising Young Woman, probably being number one. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see One Night in Miami as well. Mm-hmm. Everything else is kind of like, you know, I'll get to it. Um, maybe I'll get we'll to get, it as soon as I can, yeah. Maybe we'll get to those movies uh, for a weekend review segment on the next episode. Before we talk about that episode, why don't you tell people where they can find you online? You can find me on Instagram at Shanna underscore Paxton underscore photography. And uh, on the slowly but surely updated list on Flickchart, Spellbinding A. Go to the Gibson Review for all things Gibson Review and the movie lovers. You will find on there, please, uh, the final celebration of the 10th anniversary of the Gibson Review. It pretty much got started in 2010. 2020 was the celebration of its 10th anniversary. I have on there a series of articles that culminated in the 
100 favorite movies of all time. The final post is up. Go check that out at thegibsonreview.com. You can also follow on Facebook slash The Gibson Review. Instagram, good old Instagram, The Gibson 99. I do polls there on Instagram. You'll probably find a poll for your favorite movie of 2020 there soon. Recently, we did polls for your favorite Christmas movie. I'm looking to see if there's anything before that that we did. It doesn't look like it. Your favorite Christmas movie. Very surprising. Home Alone ended up slaughtering Elf uh, as your favorite Christmas movie. We also did your favorite movie of 2011. That is just finishing up at time of recording. It looks like it might end up being between Captain America First Avenger and Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Check out the Gibson 99 on Instagram to find out what the results were of that. I will also mention the results in the next episode. And of course, flick chart the Gibson 99. Uh, next episode, I still haven't done future planning for 2021. 2020 almost broke me in terms of future planning. Don't, I'm like, I don't, don't know. Don't plan things. That's well, what you should learn from this year. We'll see what 2021 looks like. I think the next episode, what we'll do is what I intended to be a bonus episode will probably just be the main episode because I'm not seeing much in terms of a release in January for us to review. So let's let's look ahead. Let's do 2021 preview, shall we? And, and talk okay. about what movies we're hoping to actually see. Yeah, just I feel like year. it's going to be in vain. <laughs> well, that's the spirit. I don't know. That episode, though, I think you will find on January 19th, I believe, will be right. Tuesday, January 19th. Uh, in the meantime, Happy New Year. Keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying bye-bye.